Welcome back, Power Gamers, to Episode 6 of Power Gamers Podcast. This is the Red Power Gamer, Mike. And the Black Power Gamer, Rami. Okay, let's see what we've got on the schedule for this week. Um, so k- kicking off uh, Alpha 5's A-list, Mike will start us off. We've got uh, The Order, 1886. Uh, a lot of the uh, reviews just went live today. IGN gave it a 6.5. Uh, Kotaku gave it a rating of no, not to play it. Really, really, Which, not even not even a number. No, well, they, they don't. They don't. Yeah, they don't use numbers. I they guess, just do yes and no. That's right. Yeah, that's um, I think that's very uh, you know, even though there are issues with like having just a number mm-hmm. for the game, and and I think, you know, nothing's wrong with using a number, but if it's um, you know, I think a lot of the mainstream public tends to just look at the number and only go by that, right? You know, rather than going and actually reading the review and looking at that individual reviewer's reasoning right. for why to play a game or why not to play a game, what's good about it, what what could have been better, things like that. But um, I think, yeah, a lot of times there are certain things, um, games like movies and books, many times are subjective and not objective. Yeah. When you try and apply a number to it, I'm like, well, that's how you felt about it. It doesn't exactly. mean how I feel about it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I um, definitely a lot of controversy around this game. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about that, Mike? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. Um. From everything I've seen and read, it looks like an, a stunning, just amazingly beautiful game. Mm-hmm. But apparently there's just not much there under the scenes. You've got your basic basic kind of hide-and-shoot type mechanic, kind of like Gears of War. Yep. Um, maybe a few gun types, a few different types of enemies. Um, they kind of pitched this game, and I remember some of the early tre- uh, teasers showing werewolves or kind of supernatural creatures. Mm-hmm. Apparently there are not that many of them in there. Right. You've got a couple fights with werewolves, and I actually watched a few videos where what the werewolves do is they run up, knock you down, then run away. <laughs> Which, when you, if you're fighting a werewolf, they're going to tear you. They're going to tear you to shreds, man. Right. So uh, there are a few things like that, but I mean... I mean, where's that? You remember, the, like, think about the hunters from uh, Halo 1. Oh, right. Man, that was a brutal enemy right. to deal with. Right. They, they, that didn't, was, they didn't that slap w- you down and then walk away. Yeah, you know, you know, you could throw three... Pl- you know, if you're playing on Legendary, you know, we were on co-op or something, if you want to play... You know, throw like three plasma grenades on the thing; it's still going to be charging at you. You know, right? So that's um, a bit disappointing in terms of uh, that that ele- uh, enemy. Right. And one one phrase they're throwing around a lot is um, they're calling it filmic because they're trying to. It's basically okay, like cinematic, basically. Right. But I think that word is kind of a buzzword now. So Definitely. they want to create their own thing. And apparently, it very pretty and it's somewhere in between a movie and a game more towards a movie yeah <clears throat> one of the major complaints i've seen is that it's letterboxed um so you've got uh, black borders on the top and bottom okay um and oh throughout the whole game throughout the whole game whether whether in a cinematic or during gameplay right which is uh, supposed to make it more kind of a film experience but here's one of the issues that i and i saw this on one of the uh, on the ign's video mm-hmm. is that when you've got this kind of duck and cover type shooting mechanic where you're hiding behind something, you're looking at the top of the screen to see over whatever your whatever yep. cover you're hiding behind, mm-hmm. and it's cut off because of the the black bar. See that that is questionable. So not only is it um, kind of gimmicky, 
but also it seems to be uh you know inhibitive of the gameplay right right and and one of the reasons I think they did that is it reduces the resolution they have to display on screen. That's possible. So I think yeah. it's early on in some of the um, videos I see they were having some um, some issues with the frame rate, mm-hmm. and it helps with the frame rate if you reduce what you have to display yeah. on screen. Oh, exactly. I mean, if you um, on that note, like as a, as a tangent, I, I know um, I was watching a couple of uh, speed runs on AGDQ, and there was a guy already. Um, no, they they had already done. They finished AGDQ from. Um, the the uh, beginning of the year, okay, um, okay. But one guy was doing. Um, it wasn't during AGTQ. It was it was it was before that. Uh, Cosmo Wright, very um, probably the most famous speedrunner there is, and uh, most well known. In ADDQ, AGDQ, awesome games done quick. That's right. I knew there was a done quick. In yeah, there. I could remember super the first super great event. They they raised um about one point five million, uh, this past uh, January into March. Like uh, sorry, t- January into February, like that weekend mm-hmm. when they hel- held the event. Um, for uh, the Prevent Cancer uh, Foundation. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, so really good stuff. But I was watching one person um, speedrun uh, GoldenEye, mm-hmm. and in order to get a faster time, he looks at the ground the entire time that he's speedrunning uh, particular parts because it just reduces, like you said, you know, the amount of, uh, you know, what basically the amount of things that are displayed on screen causing him, you know, less load times, just, just more, just, uh, it helps it, the frame rate on exactly. It. it helps the frame rate. He's able to go through it faster, but it was just so interesting to me, you know, from even from that perspective that they would go to that extent, you know, just like shave off every second possible. So I've seen that in some Mega Man speed runs where they will, um, get some extra enemies on screen to slow it down to make certain things easier. That's true. And yeah. It's crazy, but, uh, yeah, I think I thought that was an interesting, like, uh, kind of analogy there. Um, to this uh, to this uh, phenomenon here in uh, the order with right. cutting off the board the, the top and bottom. And another another complaint that some people have been upset about is um, the length of the game. Yep, seems like it's between five and seven, maybe eight hours. Yeah, and it's a sixty dollar triple A game. Yeah, even um, even if um, you know, I think I think uh, one uh, issue that um, kind of uh, caused a lot of the controversy mm-hmm. was um, the YouTube leak. Mm-hmm. Right about uh, you know like somebody had leaked a full walkthrough of the game. They finished it in about five and a half hours, if I remember, and that was all on YouTube before the game's release. So uh, that's okay. that that definitely caused a lot of um, issues and um, you know made the controversy more um, apparent. Right. So you know even if I mean that person w- went through it pretty quickly. So let's say let's even say that it takes ten hours. Or 15 hours if somebody's just taking their time mm-hmm. with the experience, you know, really, you know, say 15 hours, you know, that, you know, I don't, I don't think that's uh, a problem. It's just, is the gameplay really, um, you know, uh, that uh, interesting or is it really going to be like that engrossing of an experience to justify $60? Right. For most people, I don't think so. Um, so, you know, that's... That's one. That's one uh, major major issue for sure. The length that uh, a lot of people had. Right, and that's one thing. I mean, think about it. if you go to the movies, take a date. You're paying twenty bucks just to get in the door for two hours. That's so true. if you look at it, I mean, it's about the same price as going to a movie, which is interesting because they kind of build the game is more of a filmmaker cinematic. That's experience. a very that's a very interesting analogy there, actually. And putting it that way, it almost seems like they spend so much time. You know, this coming from two guys who've never played the game. But from the videos we've seen, that they've spent so much time on making the game pretty, mm-hmm. even at the expense of gameplay. Yeah, and 
the thing is, you know, I don't I don't really buy the concept of the game being cinematic right. in this feel because you can have a very cinematic game and still have, you know, very good, re- you know, a lot of replay value, a more, you know, an engrossing gameplay experience. Again, you know, I I'm not I'm not I don't want to speak so much from the aspect of the gameplay. Maybe the gameplay is excellent, but um, you know, games that are much longer um but Metal Gear Solid, for example. Yeah, you know it's very cinematic, very engrossing story. Max Payne, the Max Payne trilogy. Very good. You know, yeah. very, very engrossing. Last experience. of Us, another one. Exactly, and you know those games are cinematic without, um, you know, using it as a as a selling point. Right. You know that's that seems to be kind of the the gimmick, you know, behind the game, and so that's on that at, on that level, it's um a bit questionable. Right. I predict it'll be. I mean, we'll see it on sale here pretty soon. Um, heck, maybe even PlayStation Plus at some point. Perhaps. I don't know. It's one of their big AAA games. One of the games they've been pitching for the console for a long time. That's but, the uh, thing. And, and and on that level, right? On that level, you know, even without having played the game, I think um, it's obviously um, a problem that this amount of controversy even exists around the game. Right. Because you're talking about this is one of those. This is one of the big titles that has been pushed along with um, Uncharted Four. And uh, Bloodborne, and Bloodborne right. you know, among others, for PS4 exclusives. And so, you know, that obviously hurts Sony um, just to have the controversy around this um, this huge title. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I don't think it's going to sell that well. I think it'll, it'll get some sales just because it's it's got some marketing behind it. Um, but I'm not going to pick it up. Uh, I mean... There's so much... Like, I can get so much more for... You know, we were talking just before this, and it's like, I can get at least 10 15 steam games okay so let's know, for the for the price of this let's look at it from the viewpoint of a value um value proposition uh-huh. is 60 dollars too much to pay for a game that's less than 10 hours if it's an excellent game i think it, that's a good point um i would say no D- depending but you know the gameplay has to really be compelling right me having me having uh not played the game I can't I can't say one way or another with respect to the order 1886 but for people who enjoy the game mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair for people to give them flack for buying the game at $60 right. if they have the money and they want to play the game they enjoy the experience by all means Oh definitely you know definitely. what I mean so I think there has to be a kind of a balance I think you know we can kind of recognize the inherent issues with uh, a AAA title having sh- such uh, a short length Right. While at the same time saying, hey, you know, a game with, you know, strong gameplay, if fans like it and they want to pay $60 for it, go ahead. Or if you look at the um, a good uh, comparison, the um, Call of Duty series, those campaigns are normally only five to eight hours, but they're such uh, multiplayer focused yeah. games. I mean, I, I know people who don't even touch the campaign. I, I'm, I, you know, like myself, when it comes to um, Battlefield, mm-hmm. usually I don't touch the campaign. You know, maybe if I if I play it, I play a few missions just to get accustomed, you know, to the controls and unlock a few weapons. But um, outside of that, it's like people are buying those games for the multiplayer. Wait, Battlefield has a campaign, right? Ex- see, ex- <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't think I've ever played a Battlefield game and gone through the campaign. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, people buy the game for the multiplayer. And so, I think um, since since there is no multiplayer for the order, um, it faces a little bit more scrutiny, right, with respect to its single player and um, you know, is it really at that top quality? You know, it, it's going to depend. You know, some people will will go for it, and and some won't. Right, right. And uh, 
I don't know. I think it may be if it does well enough to warrant a sequel, I bet they'll get a lot of this worked out in yeah. a sequel. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is the first entry into the series. Um, so um, we're going to have to see how people respond to it um, from a, uh, let's see, from a commercial point of view. Right. You know, is it going to really sell sell uh, enough? Um, and like Mike said, it has enough marketing behind it that it, in all certain, in all likelihood, will um, sell enough copies. And um, we'll see where they where they go after that. Right, right. And companies like Sony, they, I mean, this is one of the big franchises they're going to back. We'll we'll see more down the line from it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think this is the end there. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, next on the list, uh, I think we've got something from uh, you about Nintendo. Yeah, so um, recently, uh, Nintendo president uh, Satoru Iwata uh, discussed the third quarter financial results um, with um, some investors. And so he talked about a few things um he discussed first uh the 3ds and 3ds of course has been successful it's sold 50 50 million units oh, um, wow. in all iterations and he talked about you know like some major titles that have sold particularly well smash brothers for 3ds um selling 6.8 6.19 uh, million copies um and uh pokemon omega and uh and sapphire um have sold uh, 9.35 million right. units uh, worldwide. So those are really great numbers. You know, those are the top titles, AAA titles, um, and they've done really well. So props to Nintendo on that. Um, although one thing that seems, um, you know, when he when he continued um, talking, he talked about the, uh, the new Nintendo 3DS models, and um, Mike is going to discuss that a little bit later. Right. Um, with respect to that, but... Um, a lot of the um, limited edition ones that he mentioned for, with regard to Monster Hunter, I think that was a good choice to have a limited edition for Monster Hunter because the series is really growing in the West. It's already a huge success, as we mentioned in previous episodes mm-hmm. um, in Japan. Um, and I think Monster Hunter 4 has been, um, is probably the best, uh, has been the most well-marketed one, and it's um, way more accessible to beginners to the series. So it's... Um, really started to see that growth and you know i think it was a good choice on their part to release a limited edition monster hunter edition as well as um, majora's mask so like both games released on february 13th as long as well as the models uh the xl special edition models for both games so i think that was a a good choice and they're they're sold out everywhere so that's been good so i mean nintendo has been doing doing well on that i think the issue is um largely with the wii u um, it's as of now, it is confirmed to be the slowest selling Nintendo home console. Now, is that slowest selling of all time, or just Nintendo console? Or sl- uh, I guess, um, like- yeah, among Nintendo consoles. Okay, okay, it's, yeah, for home consoles. And so, you know, I one thing that um, really bothered me about you know Satoru Iwata's presentation. I think the information he mentioned about. The 3DS was fine, you know, kind of hitting those high points to talk to investors and everything. But when he discussed the Wii U, he mm-hmm. mentioned that 2015 is the year of the gamepad. That just, I mean, what does that mean? The gamepad is supposed to be, was supposed to be, the hallmark of the Wii U. This was supposed to be, you know, the 
you know, gimmick, if you want, or, you know, and I'm not using the word gimmick here in a, with a negative connotation. Or is the, you know, the, the selling point, the selling point, the, the hook, right. Right. To justify purchasing the console. Right. right? I mean, right. you get, you guys remember the E3 conference when they unveiled the oh, Wii man. U, you know? <laughs> and so that was, that was really the focus of the whole thing. I mean, they were selling it based on the gamepad. Mm-hmm. Up till now, there has not been, I, I, in my experience, and I own a Wii U, obviously, uh, there's not been a single game that has really fully utilized the gamepad. And I play everything with a Wii U Pro controller or a game, you know, for Smash, a GameCube controller. Right. So when he says 2015 is the year of the gamepad, I think to myself, what about the past two years? Right. Where has that been? You're two years late, you know, to say this. And that just makes me wonder what what they think they can do with the gamepad that they haven't already tried. Exactly. And so, you know... With the exception of a couple titles, you have like Nintendo Land and, and others that implement it. Um, mm-hmm. I know in um, in Pikmin, it's it's nice to have the map down there. Yeah, I I, de- I definitely like it for Pikmin. I will it, say. And I guess the only other thing that's nice about it is that you can, um, if you want to play on on the um, on the gamepad, mm-hmm. but not on the TV, you can do that. Yeah, but but I think that's the only real justifying point, right, for it because. Um, and you know that's not to take away from you know take away from that, but I mean, if this was a major selling point and it's not something that is going to apply to all users, because like I own a Wii U and it's I'm basically the only one who uses it in my room, right? And so I it really doesn't matter to me that it functions as a second screen mm-hmm. in the context of a family where you have kind of the main you know like the consoles in the living room, somebody else wants to watch TV or whatever then you can, you know, game on your own on the gamepad and just sit on the couch or whatever. It's, I've used it a couple of times when the wife wants to play a Mario Kart and I'm playing on my computer or something like that. Yeah. She can jump on that. Exactly. And it's you about know, the only time I've ever used it, though. Yeah, and so I think it's fine um, for that function, but that by itself, if you're talking about it was put as, you know, the hallmark of the console, right. the hook, the selling point, it being relegated only... You know, its its main use being relegated strictly to a second screen is not sufficient. No, no from no. any perspective. I mean, that's I think very objectively clear. They need to do more with the gamepad. Um, we'll see. Like, or just know, do away with it. Pull an Xbox One and say, not required anymore. You can buy the Wii U. Say, sell it for one hundred fifty, two hundred bucks. Because one of the the reasons apparently that the game or Wii U is so expensive, was oh, yeah. because of the gamepad. Exactly. If they sold the version with just a Pro controller, yeah, and didn't require Wii U or gamepad connectivity, I think that would be a very good option for them at this point. Mm-hmm. Especially if they want to salvage sales before the next, um, you know, the next uh, generation of consoles. Right. Um, it would be a really smart move. You know, sell it for like two hundred dollars. Instead of um, you know MSRP three hundred or like with bundles and things, right? Sell it at two hundred. Even let's say if it comes with a pro controller, two fifty. Even yeah, fine. You know, but you know, at this stage, they really need to think about how can they get the rest of the Wii U's off of the shelves, right? Um, and you know, not be kind of you know grabbing at straws when it comes to you know the gameplay uh, gamepad and trying to fully you know as he says like fully utilize it when for two years it has not been fully utilized i i kind of get the feeling or impression there are i mean we know they're already working on their next console yeah, or hardware, for sure. whatever they're, it's going to be they're definitely in the planning stages at least they're just trying to keep 
people interested as long as possible in the Wii U. In the next couple of years, we'll probably see a new console from them. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to... Nintendo really has to, and I'm sure that they will, get away from the quote-unquote Wii brand and kind of go back to something more akin to the GameCube. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and even if they are lacking the third-party support that um, has largely been lost um, between you know between the Wii and the Wii U... Um, you know, it can if they market accordingly and properly, um, they can still have a successful console in um, you know in their next console. But you know, a lot of that is speculation for future um, future episodes and, and a lot more discussion. But you know, it just it just seems very strange to me talking about enriching the value of the of the gamepad. It's been out for two years; it has not been fully utilized. So, and I think that kind of comes back to when they it kind of feels like they burned some bridges with the third party developers by going with a system that was so different from all of the other systems. Yeah, that's that's another issue too. And and they've got this device that's like, hey guys, it's great, come come make games for it. And everyone else is like, No. Yeah. I mean, if we're gonna make games that we want to get in as many households as possible, no one's buying the Wii U and if we make it for the Wii U we have to come somehow find a way to add in this functionality that we don't really need or want yeah. in our game. Yeah, I think you know the concept of the gamepad is fine, but it can it, it uh, you know after br- after burning so many bridges with third party developers mm-hmm. because of trying to kind of force this um, this technology on them, it's um, will cause a, an issue for um, you know their future console. I don't with know regard to, with regard. Well, let me say with regard to third party support, maybe they can get it back. I would but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out with a new console tomorrow and said, "Hey, it's more powerful. It's more of a traditional gaming console, regular type controller, GameCube type controller, wireless, whatever it would be." Um, that developers would be ready to jump back on board because that's more money for them. More um, that's another avenue yeah. of sales. Yeah, um, I hope so. And espe- I mean, especially now, it's a lot easier. I think even if if they wanted to make, if third party developers wanted to make their titles, um, mm-hmm. you know, mostly digital and just have a select number of physical copies that makes it a lot more justifiable for them because it's like hey we're just you know developing for uh similar style hardware they don't have to worry about like all this all this gamepads you know type of stuff right and having to deal with that and they can just basically have another port version of a ps4 or you know, or sony or, or microsoft console title and put it out there for every you know for nintendo as well right instead of just leaving them because a lot of obviously um, a lot of third-party developers have left um, Nintendo. I would say largely because of the gamepad. I would I would agree with you that and and the lack of power in, in the Wii U, just yeah. not able to handle the same graphic fidelity of the Xbox One or PS4. Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking to another point, um, I remember watching some videos, um, some interviews with Mark Cerny, the uh, the lead developer or designer behind the PS4 for Sony, mm-hmm. and one of his things. Um, about developing the PlayStation 4 is they wanted to create something that the developers could easily develop games for and deal with. With um, There was so much unlike the um, the Xbox 360 or the Play- especially the PlayStation 3 with its own custom cell architecture. Right. Apparently that was a pain in the ass for developers to work on, which I, I can believe. Mm-hmm. So their first thought process or thir- uh, first pillar or point was let's make a console that's easy to develop for. And mm-hmm. They did that, and it sold like hotcakes. Yep. Microsoft made a console, basically the same architecture, easier for developers to develop for, and they're having great sales. Mm-hmm. Nintendo's like, we're going to do our own thing like we always have. Mm-hmm. 
And that alienates third-party developers because it's something that when they're developing a large game... And it's going to go mainstream. It's like a very broad... They want to streamline the development process exactly. and make it as easy as possible. Exactly. And they're not going to invest in having to do this other console that nobody's buying. Right. So um, really kind of shoot yourself in the foot when you make a more complicated console that's gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And if Nintendo, it almost seems like they've decided they don't want to compete in that market um, with Microsoft and... The thing is, I think they don't. I think this speaks to a larger point, mm-hmm. and this can be expounded upon a lot. And this is not knocking on Nintendo. I think a lot of people who are fans of Nintendo, like ourselves, we kind of, you know, you can't be a fanboy for like any console. You know, you just have to kind of look at things a little bit objectively. Like, if Nintendo doesn't have to directly compete with Sony and Microsoft, mm-hmm. they don't have to directly compete with them to be successful. Agreed. Agreed. But what they can look for is try to secure, solidify a second console status. Now, when I say second console status, that doesn't mean the console is worse or what have you. You're not talking about a Ouya here. Yeah, we're not talking about that. When I say (laughs) second console status, it's like people are basically picking between the Xbox and the PS4. Right. You know, you're not going to... In general, you're not going to have somebody who owns both. Right, right. So if 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 Nintendo, you know, pushes uh, its marketing... Uh, in America in particular because their marketing in Japan is generally fine but they, you know, Mike's going to speak about it a little bit later. They um, lose out on a lot of potential income by um, uh, under under uh, estimating, right. you know, where things are selling, mm-hmm. you know, like hotcakes, like the new 3DS. I mean, Mike will talk about it. But if Nintendo looks at, looks at it where they say, for for a person who's buying, they say, Okay, I I'm gonna get one of these you know consoles, either the Sony iteration for the next iteration or the Xbox iteration. They're gonna choose one of the other, mm-hmm. one or the other, and they have to look at. And Nintendo has to make the consumer think, I have to have the next Nintendo console along with this to complement it. So they have to say, okay, well, let's say this this uh, Microsoft or Sony console is gonna be my kind of third-party go-to console mm-hmm. and media center. Mm-hmm. But I also need this Nintendo console for the great exclusives. Right, that and that's, that's the point. I think Nintendo is convinced that they need a gimmick, like with a Wii U type, some type of motion control, mm-hmm. to compete with Microsoft yeah, and they don't, Sony. Yeah, they don't need it. It's just marketing their great exclusives that they've always had. Agreed. In a way that is more palpable for the American, you know, the Western consumer. Right. And I think, as you if you said, their exclusives, their, um, their IP is the competitive edge that they could use. They could leverage that mm-hmm. along with a lower price point. Like yeah. they did with the GameCube. Like yeah. the GameCube didn't, I don't think believe it did it anywhere near as well as the PS2 or the Xbox. It didn't do as well, but critically people, lo- I think, generally liked it. Oh, great. Yeah. It had, and, a lo- it had a lot of second party support. You had Rogue Squadron. You had Eternal Darkness. and right. Requiem. Some fantastic second party titles mm-hmm. you know um and great non-nintendo exclusives right um so i don't know that's just like a larger point that kind of grew out of this um you know looking at these uh this uh, financial report right um right a last point i want to mention before we go to the next article because there's a lot of news to discuss yeah we're, we're um yeah we're, we're, we're slowing we're, down here yeah but uh, it's okay you know uh, i think a lot of people gave um are giving uh satori wada a little bit too much flack with regard to him referencing Metacritic scores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, uh, I I know I read something about it. He, what he, he was, um, I guess, 
excited or looking at Metacritic scores as being a positive thing? So when he was um, presenting uh, information regarding uh, Nintendo to these investors, Mm -hmm. he referenced that um, for Nintendo uh, 3DS and Wii U titles, there are 19 of which that received a Metascore average of 8.5 or higher. Okay. And he said, like, this is significantly more than the than both the PS4 and Xbox One. Now, um, that's not the only indicator of the quality of a console, right? Uh, obviously, but I think I don't see why it's a huge issue because the scores are from reviewers; they're not from user scores because user scores are just you know troll fodder, right? You know, right. you're gonna have somebody who everyone just loves like, it or hates it. Exactly, you're gonna have people throwing out tens for games that don't deserve tens, and people throwing out zeros for games just to lower the user score. So the user right. score is not a factor here. He obviously did not reference the user score. But I don't I don't really don't see what the issue is with, you know, mentioning Metacritic. Um, you know, again, this is in the context of speaking to investors. What so the advantage of mentioning a score is that it's tangible, mm-hmm. it's quantifiable, and you're not going to be able to condense, you know, 200 reviews you know written and present that to uh, investors because it very easily a person could say, well, you know, they, they just pick and choose key quotes that make their game look fine. Right. So right. I think I think it makes sense, you know, for somebody who knows about like presenting these type of things and just economics, it just it makes sense. And taking Metacritic Metacritic scores, um, you know, from genuine review review sites mm-hmm. um, as an aggregate and mentioning that in an investors meeting is totally fine. Okay. I think he's been getting too much flack for that. It's really not a huge deal because, you know, he's not mentioning the user scores. We all know that's like troll fodder. It's just like garbage, the garbage of the internet. Right. You know, and just like fanboys from both sides or all three sides or whatever, flinging crap at each other. <laughs> so, you know, like monkeys. But it's not It's not that. He's just mentioning the aggregate, you know, in the context of an investor uh, meeting. Okay. So okay. anyhow, we'll, um, we'll continue. There's... Um, a lot more we have to cover. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, you want to pick up and talk about uh, Sega a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm still amazed that Sega is still around, but apparently, according to IGN, mm-hmm. they are one of the top five Japanese video game developers. I'm very happy to hear that. I mean, yeah, no, I love it because, I mean, the Sega Genesis was probably the first console I fell in love with. Yeah. But it just blows me away that they're still that, uh, that popular. But one of the... Um, things they were in the news for here recently is they just acquired a couple of uh, mobile studios in the uh, in the states here mm-hmm. uh, mobile video game studios yeah um with the intention of um, increasing their western market smart through the mobile market which i don't know every time i i hear mobile market i kind of have a knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. because i i think they have their place and they're more aimed i mean they're they're casual games for the most part right and you've got your Connect Threes and your Word Games and your Candy Crushes and whatnot. Yep. But I don't know what uh, um, Clash of Clans or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, but I generally don't. I don't mean I don't play those games. I, I've I have a few times, but I just get tired of. Oh, hey, you want to do this? Pay me ten bucks. I'm like, no. No, man. Yeah, the whole free to play model. Yeah, and it's so it's like um, Zanga, whatever right. Zanga games. They just totally popularized that model. Right. You know, and it, it's definitely. It's profitable. That, it's for sure. It's profitable, and that uh, model has definitely um, been used mm-hmm. in you know for co- certain console games. You know the whole like free to play, but you know as we mentioned before, like free to play could mean different things. Do right? I mean, pay to win. You know, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, but that so 
not only is Sega still around and that they're still a pretty top level developer, more or less, but um, they're trying to make a move into the mobile market, which may be something Nintendo ought to look at. Yes, I'm glad you said that because just when you just when you mentioned that, I was like, man, since Nintendo has been so hesitant, they need to take a page from the developer that's probably the closest to them in terms of, you know, um, I mean, think about it. Like, Sega was a major developer. They had their home console. They had a uh, handheld for, you know, one right, right. and then yeah the home consoles yeah yeah and and even though they weren't able to keep up in the console business they're similar in that they're based in japan and they kind of struggle in the in the west a little bit uh sega that is so and uh in the past i i, I would say that they have to a degree but um I mean, I, let me say, relative to their success in Japan. Mm-hmm. So Nintendo is very similar to them in that respect. So if they look and see how successful Sega is in how they implement uh, this uh, kind of mobile integration, right? I think Nintendo can kind of look at it and see how that could possibly work for them as um, an av- uh, a revenue stream. Right, right. And then uh, a couple of points on there. One, I don't n- exactly know, and this article on IGN doesn't make it very clear either, mm-hmm what Sega intends to do, whether that is to develop new software for mobile markets or for bringing over their old software. I assume it's developing something new. That's what I, that's what it would seem to be. Because, I mean, there's so many emulators and ROMs out there now yeah. that it wouldn't be any issue to move over old yeah, stuff. I think, I think they're going to be developing new uh, new software with these, um, you know, these acquired companies. Right, right. And the second thing to consider is that um, if I'm Nintendo, I'm getting kind of nervous right now mm-hmm. looking at my hardware sales. Yeah, because you look at Sega; they used to be big in the console business, and now yeah. they are out of the console business post Dreamcast, mm-hmm. and um, they're still successful as just a software company, right? And I'm sure Nintendo's investors are looking at that and saying, "Hey, hey, uh, what's uh, what's going on, guys? Why uh, why aren't we taking a page out of Sega's book?" Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I think. Um you know, the next console generation will, will uh, really say a lot about kind of how um, next steps proceed. I think it's going to be a, a good um, indicator, you're right, of where hardware or where, well, the, the main three, where their hardware is going in general, whether that's Nintendo moving away from video games and more into health and fitness, which they've kind of hinted at, mm-hmm. um, or yeah, just I mean, moving away from home consoles. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I still think you know Nintendo's definitely still going to have a home console. I think, but we just have to see how they're going to implement it and right. what you know other you know what Sony and Microsoft are going to do as well. So um, we'll see. I mean, the the industry is uh, very dynamic. It's changing. It's changing a lot. Right. There's definitely um, some changes in store for us. Yep. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next one. You've got something about some uh, some customer data. It looks kind of interesting here. Okay. So um, this is a pretty big story. Um, it's still um, pretty early. It just talks about um, this is from uh, from uh, motherboard, um, you know, through Vice, mm-hmm. uh, right? Vice Media. Um, they talk. You know, the article is about major video game companies agreeing to share customer data with the government. Obviously, everybody's going to read that and be like, fuck that. <laughs> right. Like, nobody nobody wants that to happen. Um, but, you know, let's consider, right? Like, you have you had recent legislation, uh, CISPA, right? The Cybersecurity Information Sharing and Protection Act, mm-hmm. which did not pass, you know, or let me say, it passed in the House and it did not pass in the Senate. 
um, and others, you know, like SOPA, you know, years, you know, a couple years back, um, and some others that did not pass. However, um, you know, even at an early stage, this is a bit questionable. Like, you know, I think the de- the details are very scarce. Like, so far, the article says that Apple, Intel, Bank of America, AIG, Walgreens, um, Kaiser Permanente, and some other companies have signed up to use this new cybersecurity framework mm-hmm. such that their information would be shared with the government. That doesn't mean everything that they have is shared with the government, but um, that point, you know, enough information to um, basically address, you know, the premise being address um, potential cyber threats. Okay. Uh, this is this is questionable on a lot of levels. Um, yeah. One, um, you know, it's it's the whole thing of like, trading security for privacy right this, this is what this all boils down to this is trading security for privacy um alleged security because the question has to be posed to what degree am i more safe by giving over my information right this is the number one question that is really at the heart of this issue and so i would say unless the government can very tangibly explain and they won't be able to frankly speaking, mm-hmm. unless I can very tangibly explain and elaborate on the necessity of sharing this information for the sake of security, it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen basically. Yeah. You're like the information should not be shared. Um, so, you know, a lot of the, the thing is when it comes to, um, gaming and, and, and actually, actually on, um, Reddit, uh, it was mentioned and this happened, this happened months ago where you had, um, gamers were being um like basically checked like on um on uh, Wor- world of warcraft mm-hmm. and they had you know they were just having their you know activities monitored you know and some people prevented from accessing their accounts for a period of time you know it affected a certain number of people i don't know how many but it was something that actually happened so this was like a very tangible result of these type of steps Right. So I think that this um, specific, uh, you know, initiative is at an early stage, but it's very characteristic of the larger process of, you know, taking away privacy um, for security, allegedly. So um, it's very um, disheartening. I mean, we'll we'll see where this goes. Um, it's still an early stage, but um, it's not not good. A thought that comes to mind, um, and this especially with um, talking about mobile games becoming so popular. Yeah. When you download a mobile game, at least on Android, and I'm not quite sure about iOS, it um, asks for your permission to, you know, it'll tell you what, what it's going to access on your phone. I really don't like that when they put that up. Right, where it's like, really oh, your contacts. And it's something, sometimes it's crazy. What- it's really questionable what they request right. access to. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm playing a game, the only thing that they should have access to is like, you know, my... Uh, wi-fi or whatever for like you know what i mean when i say wi-fi like obviously just like testing if i'm online for like maybe maybe if i wanted to purchase something as a consumer or you know what have you but when it talks about your address book your your, phone number your phone your phone contact i mean come on you know that's completely unnecessary at what point is that a factor in you know determining because so many companies sell information for Mm -hmm. money this is a huge thing um i thought facebook makes their money Big time. Um, they would not be able to otherwise, you know, without that and ads. You know, ads, whatever, fine. You know, I can block them with uh, 
now not now I'm not even on Facebook. I don't you know I don't I don't waste my time with it. Right. To be to be frank, I mean I'm just. I would suggest to everybody who's out there um, who's serious about this issue and um, related issues, check out a documentary called uh, Terms and Conditions. It's very insightful. Um, there's obviously a, a lot of angles to um, kind of analyze this issue with regard to privacy and, uh, and security concerns, um, whether in the context of video games, social media, or, or otherwise. Um, really good documentary. It um, mentions a lot. It's on, uh, on Netflix and Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. I haven't yeah. seen that one. It's oh, it's terms and conditions may apply. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll just give you like a tidbit from it. Uh, one person was saying like if somebody, you know, it's like really unreasonable mm-hmm. for a person to re- read through all of the terms and conditions. Who who does? I don't. I mean, <laughs> it depends on what they are. Sometimes they're hundreds of pages long. Yeah. So like, who really reads through it? Um, and so. Uh, one person uh, kind of did an estimate, like for the average person, mm-hmm. if they were to read every word of every term and condition that is like put before them when registering for a site or downloading a program, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's like, it's like decades oh, of yeah. time, you know? So that's not, you know, nobody expects people to read them, but you're signing over what, like, what are you signing over? Mm-hmm. Right. You right. don't you don't know because you didn't read it and you can't you like practically speaking you can't so a lot of a lot of issues there um, extends to a lot of different things not just gaming obviously yeah that's definitely uh, an alarming trend so we'll uh, want to see where that goes definitely um, but moving on um, one thing I saw here recently that uh, is interesting and not entirely surprising is that Sony is kind of transitioning away from their other market segments and moving towards the PlayStation brand. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already sold off their PC division. Um, they're looking at possibly exiting the uh, the mobile phone market as well as the television division, yeah. which, come on, there's no surprise. When you've got companies like Samsung and Vizio that are undercutting Sony TV so much. Big time. And you look yeah. at the picture side by side, and, yeah, Sony looks better, but it's not $2,000 better. Nope, not at all. And I mean... Um, you, you had mentioned this uh, earlier. You made a really good point when you were talking about Sony cutting their uh, online division. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. they, they sold it off. They sold it off, right. So, right. Yeah, sold off their online division and um, uh, their PC division as well. Right, right. right. And so I think that um, in light of the success of the PS4, mm-hmm. um, I think this is a good move by Sony to kind of uh, consolidate their resources. And um, basically, uh, the TV market for them is a losing fight. As well as the smartphone market, I mean, who's really buying anything other than Samsung and Apple? Right. Frankly speaking, for smartphones. So, uh, in general, in general. You've got a few others, HTC, uh, LG, yeah. a few. But yeah, those But are not th- Sony. Right, the right. Thing. Sony. Not Sony. That's the thing. So, even if you have these others, um, you know, alongside Samsung and Apple, like you said, HTC and, and some others, mm-hmm. um, Sony is not the first that comes to mind. Right. Or even the second or third. So, given that... Uh, that being the case, uh, I think it's a wise move on their part to kind of, um, and and it's not even like they're putting all their eggs in one basket per se. It's it's um, that's the argument I was going to make is that it is to mm-hmm. a degree, yeah. Um, but they are undiversifying their portfolio. Okay, they're taking all of their different um, product brands, and this is something that. Um, Apple did back in the 80s and 90s is they had all these different product lines and they cut them down to just a few Macs mm-hmm. and um, focused on those and found success with that. 
Yeah, that's which, a good. That's a good point. What it appears what Sony's trying to do here with the uh, the PlayStation. My only fear is that, um, you know, the gaming industry is in such a state of um, transformation. It's everything's oh, changing so quickly. Yeah, exactly. Like, for for everybody, I mean, the whole industry is just right. It's changed so much. Like from ten years ago to now, think about the difference. And even looking at the last console generation, the PlayStation Three did not have. I mean, it had a rocky start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had six hundred dollar price tag and just not yeah, performing well for right. several several years. Yeah, up until later. And right now, Sony's found great success with the PlayStation Four, but that's but it's the like past that's not two guaranteed. years. Yeah, exactly. It's not guaranteed to necessarily carry over. Right, and that's my only concern is that they go and shutter you know their TV division, their PC division, their mobile phone division, and throw all their eggs in the basket on the PlayStation Four or the PlayStation division. Right. Like they haven't had great success with the Vita either, so you basically have their um, Sony developed games division and their uh, PlayStation Four product. Yep. I and think I think they have to cut handheld for the next. I'm po- I'm positive they're not going to have a handheld for the next next iteration. I, uh, I think. I I think you're probably right. I think it would be unwise for them to at least, if they're going to continue and follow the same, I guess, trajectory they did with the PSP and the PS Vita. The PSP did okay. Yep. But the Vita, they just didn't, just wasn't supported very well. Right. And if they're going to going to continue that trend, then they don't need to do another. Um, handheld console but if they were to take the strategy that they took towards the playstation 4 and apply that towards the vita and making it um or their next handheld there yeah toward the next handheld yeah. making it easier for developers to get into or to port over console leveled games which mm-hmm. they've always kind of um pitched the uh psp and the vita as a, a portable console in your hand console right. level quality right which it's much better than anything nintendo's got uh quality wise but not quite up to a console yep if they found a way to make that more true or make it more affordable, um, I think they could find some success there. Other thing being, though, mobile phones and casual gaming, and it's kind it's of just destroyed. on the rise. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really taken a um, a hit to handheld gaming or proprietary handheld uh, devices such That's as um, the 3ds. Our 3ds has done well, but yeah, um, as uh, proprietary handheld gaming devices. Yeah, I, I just think I think the advent of or the um, let me say the uh, increased uh, usage and um, you know advancement of mobile gaming and um, it being a lot more mainstream mm-hmm. has um, kind of nudged nudged Sony to the edge. Where yeah. You have you have mobile gaming, you know, Android, iOS, and you know Nintendo's handheld, right? Proprietary proprietary handheld, and um, it's you know possible. Um, I think it's it's possible. That, you know, if especially if Sony is going to cut off or severely limit their smartphone and TV uh-huh. uh, divisions, that they could reallocate some resources towards um, basically putting more um, effort into doing um, a handheld um, better. But right. um, I don't know. I, I think the market is, is pretty volatile and like the, you know, especially with, you know, hand, mobile games are just growing. I just don't think there's enough space for them. To be honest, I think I think they need to put, you know, more of that effort into their next console for the PS5. I I would I would tend to agree with you there, yeah. um, or even yeah, just an upgraded PS4. But yeah. um, I guess getting back to cutting off their different divisions, if you look at how Apple found success, it found success with the iPod. It was really when they made their comeback in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and it took that and moved that into. Um, 
they reinvented kind of their their iMac and their Mac um, compu- uh, um, PC lines, right? And then moved into iPads, and then moved into um, ultra portable laptops. Um, so they kind of took the opposite route, where they 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 focused in on a few devices, found success, and then expanded. It seems like Sony has already has all of these different divisions that are not performing well now, and. I think their knee-jerk reaction has kind of been, man, we've not been doing well the past few years, um, so let's cut all these other divisions and focus only on um, PlayStation. And I think that may work for them, and I hope it does, but it can be dangerous too. Yeah, it's it's um, high-risk, high-reward. Right, and that's they can become profitable by reducing you know, or undiversifying their portfolio, but... They yeah. can also be yeah. It's a huge risk to like set the themselves up down the road for yeah. You know, in, in here's the other other issue um, is that before the PlayStation Four and Xbox One launched, everybody was saying this is going to be the last console generation. Didn't think that this was going to sell anywhere any well near as well as the uh, prior consoles because people were moving more towards mobile and um, mobile devices were becoming more powerful. Mm-hmm. Then the PlayStation Four and Xbox One launch, and they just sell through the roof. Mm-hmm. And everyone's kind of like, well, we didn't expect this. Um, so, but still, you kind of have to look at it and say, okay, these consoles are doing well, but they're really just underpowered PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next console generation, I mean, at some point, what I kind of think we're going to see is PC or TV developers kind of getting into this area yep. where you're not going to have a second or a separate proprietary game console. Your TV is just going to be able to run video games. Yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah. That I think. Um, I mean, you already. Man, there's so yeah. There's so much discussion around this because, like, like we were saying earlier, I mean, the industry is changing so much so quickly. Right. That the next gaming uh, generation mm-hmm. across across all fronts is going to really say a lot about, um, you know, the future of the of the industry. Right. And and how it's going, you know, how it's leaning. I mean, we see a kind of we see some hints about where the trends are going right now but um there's just so much that can change in the next let's say two or three years mm-hmm. before the um the next consoles come out so like like you were saying i mean with pe- everybody owning a phone and like that kind of becoming central to more casual gamers right um that's that's changed a lot in it in and of itself you know people kind of just game on that mm-hmm. for, for many people um so i don't know there's um there's so much to say about that. You know, guys, uh, hit us up at uh, Rangers at, or just go to, you know, go to our website. Our website is up. It is. Actually, as of, we didn't, we didn't mention that. It is up as of this episode. Um, so check us out at gogopowergamers.com. Uh, definitely uh, check us out. Um, check out our Twitter, gogopowergamers. Um, also, Give us a look. At, give us five stars on uh, iTunes. As We're well. on iTunes and every other uh, podcasting website and app. Um, yeah, I've tried to list us in all of them. Yeah, actually. so uh, definitely uh, help us out, guys, and uh, share that, please. Um, we definitely want to, um, you know, uh, get some comments from you guys as well. Shoot us a uh, shoot us a line at uh, rangers at gogopowergamers dot com. Shoot us a comment on the website. Um, just let us know what you think. Actually, my laptop's dying here, but yeah. Um, back to um. Sony, I I kind of see, and this is just something that just kind of hit me here, um, that at some point I don't think we're going to have 
necessarily like the home console, the traditional home console, with the rise of smart TVs, is they're able to do more and more. I mean, already you have, um, well, looking at, at IMAX in particular, um, full computer and sometimes decently powerful computer inside basically what is your traditionally was just your monitor mm-hmm. at some point i wouldn't be surprised that you have a tv that has a video game console inside of it um level of power i certainly wouldn't be surprising in the you know it's um it certainly wouldn't be surprising if that were to happen and i mean look at because things are changing so quickly right it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility at all that's good that's that's a good area to watch on Okay, and now we are moving into Rita's rant. Um, the first one on the list, and this is something that... This was the most depressing news I'd heard in a long time. I literally shouted, no, and my wife just stopped. I like, what, who died? And I'm like, yeah. my soul just died. Mm-hmm. Um, the studio behind uh, the Phantom Dust reboot, who was working for Microsoft, um, they got the hacks. They were shut down. Yep. Um it was uh, Dark Side Studios, I believe, was the name of the company. Correct. And it came out of nowhere. Microsoft had yeah. not even released the name of the studio who was working on the Phantom Dust reboot. And then all of a sudden, um, pulled their support. Company was shut down. About 50 developers lost their jobs. Yeah. Um, and Microsoft claims that the game is still in development. They're still working on it. Uh, but, man, that's scary. That, that, that makes me nervous. Yeah, it definitely um, was a shocker. Um, you know, you don't really hear, a lo- you know, that often where it's just like, you know, this company just basically acts like everybody loses, everybody lost their jobs. Right. Uh, 50, 50 plus people. Um, and these are guys that have worked on some pretty big names. Um, Bo- uh, Bioshock 2, Borderlands. Yeah, Borderlands. Pre-sequel. Yes. Um, um, so these weren't just uh, some indie and developers. Sun- and, yeah, and Sunset Overdrive. Right. I mean, they worked on some pretty big uh, uh, IP there. Yeah. And um, I, th- I still think a l- um, some information needs to be you know, we'll see as as uh, information is released in the next um, you know week or week or so regarding this. But um, for the time being, you know, what one person had mentioned was uh, one of the people who was fired. Uh, he said that the executives who saw it were impressed, right? Uh, and as late as this morning, gave our team every indication that the project was on solid ground. So that's a quote from him, and uh, you know, he couldn't really speak more than that on the situation Mm -hmm. but you know after that same day so he's saying like as of that morning everything seemed fine and then they were fired later right in the day and so i don't know if this is maybe an issue of a disconnect between um some executives who have been checking because obviously the game has to have been in development for at least a year if -hmm. it was announced in e3 2014 right summer 2014 exactly so you know even to have the trailer ready and then you know Especially just mentioning it, like think about how much uh, weight that is for, you know, for a specific title to be mentioned in, uh, you know, their major conference. That mm-hmm. means they're putting a lot on the game. Right. And this is one of the projects that Microsoft um, or Phil Spencer in particular has built is this is going to be big. Yep. And yeah, they're, they're, they're high hopes for this game from Microsoft. Right. And um, um, they didn't have any gameplay footage, which is always kind of saddening, but they just had um, the cinematic trailer. Man, that um, trailer blew me away. Which was it was nice. It was ridiculous. Like somebody, I actually didn't catch the conference live, mm-hmm. and I think Mike like later told me like you got to check out. The you got to watch that. You got to watch the Microsoft conference. And I watched it, and I was totally floored. I was like, oh my god, it's fucking Phantom Dust. It's coming back. It's coming back. Right. We were so excited. <laughs> Thank you.
And then earlier this week, we lost a little bit of that. Like, yeah, man. I mean, here, here's here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I kind of see as being the issue or a possible set of issues. Either one, Microsoft has decided they want to go a different direction and that they really don't want to carry on with Phantom Dust. So they said, all right, guys, we don't need any more. Sorry. Um, which they claim they're still supporting it, but that's a possibility, be honest. It's possible, but I think given that it was mentioned in right. the E3 conference kind of protects it from that. Right, and that... And because because think about the, the amount of scrutiny and the amount of time that they have to select to go into like a one-hour right. conference. Right. You know, they... If they're not fully supporting a game, I don't think they would ever put it in there. Right, and the other the, the other yeah. uh, bit of evidence that kind of backs up that point mm-hmm. is that um, Phil Spencer's still there. Yep, none of the and execs were fired. Exactly. If, if the execs had been fired and they had somebody else new coming in with new ideas, and he's like, "No, I don't want to do that," that would make more sense from right. that point of view. But the other, um, I guess, the other reason I could see is that either what Darkseid Games was doing was not up to par or not up to snuff or um, Microsoft lost confidence or faith in dark side games. Mm-hmm. Now that could even be, that could uh, even be a good thing. It could be, it could be, yeah. it, it may even be as simple as dark side. I mean, they have relatively small studio, only 50 right. developers mm-hmm. um, or 50 employees right. may not have been able to get the game out on the schedule that Microsoft wanted. Mm-hmm. So they decided to drop dark side and pick up somebody with a larger, um, larger developer base that was yep. able to get the game out in a faster amount of time. That's true. Or, um, I don't know. There, there are a ton of reasons that we just don't know Yeah, that could have come up between Microsoft and Darkseid um, that don't necessarily spell doom for the game. But anytime you see a change of developers yeah. on something that Microsoft has pretty much put their weight behind, mm-hmm. it, it it's a little nervous. Yeah, you, you definitely have to feel nervous, um, you know, dis- despite whatever the details around the... Uh, uh, you know, whatever the circumstances happen to be. Um, at this time, we can only speculate. It could be for any number of different reasons. This may end up, like Mike's saying, it might end up being a good thing um, in the end for the game. Right. If Microsoft thinks, you know, this this uh, developer isn't necessarily up to speed, we respect them, but we're stopping our working relationship with them and get somebody else who's more capable to get the final product that Microsoft wants and is comfortable with, you know, releasing. Right. And so... Um, this may be, um, you know, a blessing in disguise right. type thing, right? Um, so even though it's definitely nerve-wracking for, you know, Mike and I being very huge fans of the series, you know, shout-outs to IGN uh, Xbox podcast. Oh, yeah, you should be receiving your copies of Phantom Dust uh, today. is the 19th. You should be getting it tomorrow. That's right. Um, so get excited, and, um, you know, we're, we're ready to play you guys on uh, X, X-Link Kai. And we've got a couple of extra little goodies in the box for you. You'll have to let us know what you think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, we're, we're very super excited. We're going to definitely have a special episode devoted exclusively to Phantom Dust, and we're going to throw on some uh, Let's Plays and, you know, record some matches and throw them on our YouTube page. Oh, definitely. Um, so when it comes to Phantom Dust, guys... You know, everybody out there who's excited about this game, you know, check out Power Gamers Podcast. We're going to be your source when it comes to Phantom Dust. Mm-hmm. Rel- anything Phantom Dust related, um, as the game, you know, is continuing in development, uh, as it gets closer to release, um, just just look us up. You know, we're, we're super excited for this game. You know, contact us. Um, if you want to play with us on X-Link Kai, let us know if you have your old copy. 
um, just uh, get super excited for this game. Um, so and don't let Microsoft trash it. Yeah, you know, push. You know, definitely give constant feedback to show that you're excited. You know, like tweet tweet Microsoft, post on Reddit, do everything because they they keep tabs on these types of things. So just show that you're excited for this game. If you haven't played this game, you have to play it. Um, it's uh, you can you can find it on uh, on eBay and Amazon. Yeah, that's where uh, we got the copies for IGN. Yeah, so we have we have a couple of copies each. Right. Yeah. So um, definitely check it out. We're super excited for the game, and um, yeah. And uh, the I guess another here's another thing that makes me think that Microsoft is is telling the truth when they say they're going to continue the project um, is that uh, for example looking at Blizzard, mm-hmm. Blizzard spent. I don't know, eight, ten years working on their, their Project Titan. Yeah. Which was going to be their next big game. And earlier, I guess it was, it was in 2014, they trashed Titan and they're releasing this kind of free-to-play Team Fortress-type shooter. Overwatch, I believe is what it's called. Oh, okay. And it looks like it's they've taken the foundations of what was going to become Titan, which was their next MMO, and turned it into a Team Fortress free-to-play-type shooter. Um which um, makes sense because they had so much success with Hearthstone, yeah. um, developed by a, a much smaller team, much smaller budget, and they made a killing on that game. Big time. That's kind of where the, the I mean, the free-to-play market, that's what's really uh, League of Legends, Dota, where they've made a ton of money on games that didn't cost much to develop, didn't right. take long to develop. So developers are looking at games, um, or even AAA games, and saying, okay, how can we make something relatively cheap, relatively quick, and make a ton of money off of it. Mm-hmm. And you've got games that are like Hearthstone card games, um, Magic, stuff like that. But then you also have games that Microsoft has, um, or, or a model that Microsoft have, has experimented with, with um, Killer Instinct. Yeah. Where you have a fighting game mm-hmm. that you don't have to pay a full 50 or $60 price tag. You can pay per character, or you can pay a full price and get everything unlocked. Mm-hmm. And Phantom Dust fits perfectly into that model because you have a game it's essentially a third-person action fighter mm-hmm. mixed with a, a card game. Yeah, like kind of card RPG elements. If you were to take a Hearthstone and then make a third-person action uh, arena-type game with it, that's what you'd get. Yep. And it, it it would fit perfectly into the model of saying, hey, you get, you know, I mean, in the original game, you had five or six playable characters. really didn't matter. They were all cosmetic. They had a couple different, um, you had your jumpers and your rollers as far as, um, evasion went. Yeah, that was about it. Other than that, the the characters were solely cosmetic. Yeah, more, more or less uh, the same stats. Right for the most part. But you had uh, three hundred moves in possible moves in the total deck or whatever, and each match you'd go so, into so much variety. Right, you'd have like sixty. You'd have a, a deck of sixty moves. Thirty of them were your just base mana or energy um, cards. The rest of them were your, your attack and defense or specials. And they could sell custom decks. They could sell. Um, oh yeah. I mean, that's more than welcome DLC, right? That's, that's totally stuff. fine because, you know, it's it's this thing where, it's like, hey, if you want to unlock it for right. gameplay, you have that option. Right. If you want to get access early and have like an early competitive edge, you also have that option. So you're able to appeal to both, right? You know, audiences. Anybody who wants to jump and get the DLC who has extra money, go for it. If you want to go and unlock it, you know, spend the time in single play, single player, and do well in multiplayer and unlock stuff, go for it. And Microsoft you know. is smart enough, I believe, to realize that Phantom Dust is a great opportunity to make a profit and to make a new, really a new franchise or re- reboot this old franchise. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I generally or honestly believe that when they say they're still working on it, um, 
or that the project will continue, that they're they're probably being truthful about it. There's probably a disconnect between them and Dark Side Games over whatever it was, whether right. it be management or performance. Right. Um, but on the same note, man, there's just that little voice in the back of my head going, "Yeah, it's never good when when they publicly ditch a developer." Because I mean, fifty people lost their jobs. Yep. You've got to think Microsoft didn't make that decision lightly. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't true. made on a whim. There was For a sure. reason or reasons behind yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think past the um, kind of initial fear factor of hearing the news and just like your heart sinks, especially being a fan of the Phantom Dust series. Right. Um, you know, kind of looking at it, um, you know, from a from a larger, more holistic perspective in, in what we've just analyzed the past 10 minutes or so. Um, I, I think in the end, you know, of course, Microsoft is still... Uh, you know, 100% behind the game. And, you know, it It seems... Uh, I, I think as more details emerge about um, uh, the reasons for this uh, split, mm-hmm. it will become more clear uh, that this was a, a positive decision. You know, we, we hope that's the case. I think they're, they're making this decision... Making this decision with the... Um, the project's best interest in mind. Yep, exactly. With making either a better game or getting it out in a more timely fashion. Right. So I think we'll probably be okay. Um, but still, I mean, anytime you've got... I mean, you can look at how many different games were pretty far along in the development cycle that never came out. That's true. That's true. But, um, you know, we're we're still super excited for the game. we um, um waiting to see, like, how this, how this turns out. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, this happened, you know, on the ha- on on the part of uh, Dark Side, um, but if if it ends up that this was a uh, better, um, you know, a better uh, a better end product as a result of this, um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll just have to see. Right, and really, I mean, we're just a couple of guys that uh, have no industry connections, but making a uh, shout out to the IG and the podcast and lot guys. Um, hey, we know you guys have some industry connections, so see what you can find out for us. Yeah, let us know what you can um, find what, regarding this. Um, what you can dig up. Yeah, let us know. That would be uh, super helpful. Because uh, we we would we would love to have some additional info or inside info on that. Definitely. Okay, moving on to uh, the next one in Rita's rant. Next item here, um, and this kind of ties back to Nintendo's financials earlier. Um, Nintendo has just had some issues with their supply chain. It seems mm-hmm. um, with the Majora's Mask 3DS whether it be not having enough. at I mean, it's a limited edition, so you kind of expect it's going to be rare and hard to find. But even Best Buy and I believe Target was the other one where they sold more pre-orders than they actually had. Yep. And they, yeah, it's like you said, you had gotten the, um, you had originally pre-ordered the uh, Majora's Mask new 3DS. Through Best Buy. And and they canceled it on everybody, basically. And then... Not, I mean, some people still got it, but really? they were a large, yeah. Okay, so people, they just overestimated. They overestimated. Okay. And, um, I mean, they gave me a $50 credit, so I was, I mean, it's better than nothing. It didn't cost me anything to get that $50, mm-hmm. but I mean, I still, it's like right. you were expecting it. I mean, that was Im- kind of, imagine if you didn't like, you ended up still purchasing it, uh, from another person, got it through GameStop, through GameStop. And so like, if you hadn't, mm-hmm. then you'd be up the Creek without a paddle. And right? there are plenty of people out there that happened to. Exactly. So, you know, it's, um. Supply and demand is uh, is a tricky business, and so I've you know, and not even, but it seems like the issue extends beyond even limited edition. There, um, with the new 3ds, I was uh, talking to a friend last weekend, and he he was looking for. One. He's like, yeah, I just picked one up this morning. I'm like, aren't those kind of hard to find? He's like, yeah, I called around to a few targets. I found one in town that had two of them left. It's crazy. 
And high. this is this is not we're not even talking about um just the special editions. No. I mean, those sold out basically immediately. Minutes. Yeah. And then because the Majora's Mask or um uh, Monster Hunter limited editions were not available, mm-hmm. people jumped on the black and uh, red new 3DS XLs and they were gone. They also, you know, sold like hotcakes. So I think this is um a case of you know, Nintendo, this is like missed revenue for Nintendo on something they've already produced. Right. So it's just... Oh, we assume they've produced. Yeah. So this is, um, I think this is a ties into a larger issue where there's, for people who really know the industry, they recognize that there's um, a, a, a pretty serious disconnect between Nintendo's Japanese arm and their American branch. Possibly, but there, and this is something I just saw in Kotaku here. Um, apparently, there is a, a a port strike at some of the shipping ports on the West Coast. Uh-huh. That's that's surely part of the issue. That's we we can only assume that. Um, and actually, this article says that a few um, uh, corporate insiders say that that has been one of the issues. Okay, but then you also have to wonder. I mean, companies like Apple. I mean, it's not like they could. This port strike really, I guess, would affect um, sea trade, anything that they're shipping overseas mm-hmm. from China where their manufacturing is. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't they just fly this stuff? Yeah, but I mean, um, you know, by I guess sea they, is, they is didn't cheaper. plan for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't blame them on that part. I mean, that's that. Uh, you know, this port strike is certainly a factor. Yeah, and that's kind of out of their control. Yeah, but I think, um, you know, the not producing enough, you know, for their market is kind of um, something uh, systematic. Definitely, and, and it's it's a it's a you know symptomatic problem that Nintendo faces with not marketing their products you know as effectively as possible mm-hmm. in America. That and not uh, accurately um, predicting demand for the Exa- product. Exactly, and this this happens for many this happens for many products. This is not just one. So the port strike is one factor, mm-hmm. but it's only one factor um, as part of a you know kind of a systemic issue. Right. So. You know that's that's a shame because it's like here's something that Nintendo has already produced. Everybody's like, oh, this, you know, a lot of people just say like, whatever, it's a rehash, it's this, it's that. Fine, you know, even if like I myself, I personally don't need the new 3DS, but right. many people do want the three, new 3DS, and so, um, not producing enough to meet the demand is just missed money. And that makes me wonder if, if the issue is Nintendo didn't accurately predict what their demand would be or estimate or if it was uh manufacturing constraints maybe that the plants they had manufactured at just couldn't produce enough mm-hmm. um i don't know though i mean you look yeah. at companies like uh microsoft and sony and they don't seem to have these same issues right i i would say i'll tell you the reason i think that it's not a manufacturing issue mm-hmm. is because this is a major release and the same issue happened with respect to the gamecube adapters that were released for uh, the Wii U to be able to play uh, Smash Brothers, right, right, f- uh, with a GameCube controller, right, and right. so these are sold out across the board. You have them selling for a hundred plus on eBay and for Amazon. a twenty dollar adapter. Exactly, it's originally twenty dollars, and so that is one hundred percent an issue of not understanding the demand. Right, it's definitely not a manu- manufacturing issue, and so uh, they underdeveloped them uh, in terms of number. I mean. Um, because they were like, you know, is this really going to sell? But, you know, the the competitive following for Smash Brothers is huge. And, you you know, a competitive player will not play without a GameCube controller. Right. Right. Um, and so, actually, the competitive, uh, you know, market for Smash is actually growing, uh, the scene, let me say. And so, 
you know, Nintendo didn't really, you know, hopefully over time, you know, they'll kind of like understand uh, more in terms of the, de- the demand. But again, it's, it's missed money for them. Right. Because you have third parties developing, um, you know, they're just developing third party um, accessories mm-hmm. for people, even though it's not going to, they, they don't have four uh, ports. There's stuff um, by Play Asia. They were um, uh, advertising during uh, Apex. Mm-hmm. They were. It was like a one-port uh, GameCube to Wii U adapter. That's lo- that's missed money from for Nintendo. Yeah, definitely. Know? So, you know, it's it's these type of things. You know, it's like Nintendo needs to capitalize more on what is selling, um, and and kind of address the issues of um, not uh, meeting the demand where it's there. Um, you know, it's um, they, they they can do better. It almost seems like. I mean, sometimes the the time frame between the announcement of their new products and the release of their new products is pretty short. Mm-hmm. So it almost seems like they're not giving themselves enough time to, to gauge to manufacture enough to actually get in the hands yeah. of consumers. Because you look at the new 3ds, yeah. that was just what um, back in October, November. Yes, and is already released over here. I mean, it was released came out in Japan and Australia already. Or Europe and Australia. Yes. And just hit here in February. So you're talking four to five months between announcement and, and actually releasing it. That being said, you've got to assume they've been working on it much longer than that. Right. But, um, man, if it's one of those things where if they just taken an extra two to three months um, to delay the release in order to build up enough stock or supply right. that this wouldn't have been an issue you got to imagine that they would have made that money back, that delay, um, just in actually not missing all these sales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, imagine now, like, for people, let's say, um, presumably most of the people who are buying the new 3DS um, already have one, and they're trading in their old one. Mm. Well, the new one doesn't come with a um, power cord, so they have to hope. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um but you know that's just um, unfortunate, like kind of uh, missed missed sales there, right? Um, for a number of reasons. Hopefully, I think um, the past few years have been kind of rough for Nintendo, but if they've been paying attention, I think they can easily point at what some of the issues are and get them fixed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they just have to kind of pinpoint those and um, you know address them uh, next time. And they're they're a big company. They've been around for over a century. Um, some smart people there. They'll, they'll get it figured out. Yeah. Um, let's see. I want to talk a little bit about, um, Zenimax. Uh, you know, so basically you had this developer, um, you know, independent developer and what he did was, um, he has a game in development called Fortress Fallout and he received, um, basically a legal notice from Zenimax, uh, media or LLC or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so Zenimax owns Bethesda Studios. Right. Bethesda developed followed. Mm-hmm. So, um, when, uh, so Zenimax basically told him, your game has Fallout in it. You need to change the name. And this is ridiculous on a lot of levels. First, let me, let me clarify that um, a lot of people are giving Bethesda flack for it. This is not Bethesda saying this. This is the parent company right. you know, coming in guns blazing basically to like shoot this guy down. Right. Patent trolling uh, him. Yeah, exactly. So actually, actually, I'm pretty sure that's the phrase that he used in his YouTube video right. when mentioning it. So, um, you know, I'm sorry that happened to to this guy. Um, this is obviously, uh, this is going to backfire. This is going to blow up in Zenimax's face. It's it bad. already has. It's bad PR for him. It's horrendous PR. They have to, you know, recognize that. Basically, when it comes to people like pulling shit like this, 
the internet is gonna basically crap on you um in 20 within 24 hours people are gonna know about it the guy's video almost has a million views already right and his game is gonna sell more because of this because yeah he's got free (laughs) pr out of it oh yeah huge pr so you know congrats to you for that i hope the game is a success whatever it ends up being uh named um you know, unless unless they uh, you know recant or rescind their decision, um, so this is just bad PR for Zenimax. Uh, I'm gonna rant on them for that. I mean, the guy was talking about how, you know, it's like, hey, you know, it's like Nintendo owns the rights to Legend of Zelda. What about you know an indie game that was called, I don't know. I mean, Legend uh, of anything. Yeah, whatever. You know, and then they they could not even Legend, just like I don't know. Let's say let's say this you know Code of Honor. I don't know. This is right. just making. I'm just making up something. And then they say, hmm, you know what? If like, suppose Nintendo went to that person and say, hey, you know what? Your game has the word of in it. <laughs> you have to change your game name. Well, that's kind of what uh, the Candy Crush, was it King, I think is the company? King Crush? Uh, it? No, a King, I believe, is the name of the company that did Candy Crush. I see. And they tried to sue somebody that I think had the name Candy or something. It's really stupid. And it's one of those things Candy where... exists in the English dictionary. Right. You cannot patent a word you know what i'm saying right and it's Come one on. of those things where they they know it wouldn't stand up in court obviously but it's just it's just it's just pushing the you know trying to push the guy around well like this guy he and i think he said in the article or the video he's like yeah we we don't have the money to pay a lawyer to actually throw the obviously thrown out yeah he's like we're not even gonna fuck with it because it's yeah. not worth our time no it's not and they that's kn- what they're counting on exactly and they know that for most people that's going to be the case right and um, I'm sure that he's fine with that because it's free PR for him right? and the rest of his company working on this game. And, um, you know, they're going to, you know, the fan, you know, he's going to like ask the fans like what they think right. uh, for the, for a, a new title. They're going to identify with it because like they made it. And, you know, this, this ends up being a good thing for him and a bad thing for Zenimax in the end. It just makes me wonder who at Zenimax thought that this was going to be a good idea. People have to have common sense, man. I mean, it's like people who are, kind of removed from social media awareness mm-hmm. and really not understanding the dynamics therein. I mean, like us, like we grew up with it and we're not, we didn't even grow up with it actually, right. but we're just like tech savvy and we're aware of these kind of trends, but you know, their marketing person is like 40 or 50 years old mm-hmm. and doesn't know about that type of stuff. So this is the uh, kind of natural result. I mean, that's just going to happen for so- certain companies and you know, then they either apologize or, you know, just kind of eat the PR, you know, take the PR hit and um, act like it didn't happen. Right. And keep so, going. So it, it'll be interesting to see what, what they have to say back about it. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. We've got uh, Bungie. I just saw today. They're making a few changes to the um, matchmaking setup in uh, in Destiny. Um, up until now, you've been able to, when you do the, uh, the high-end um, Nightfalls, which are like their weekly raids or uh-huh. weekly strikes, which is basically a three-man raid. Okay. Um, they just don't call it a raid. You could uh, initiate it with, you could do it solo, or you could pick a couple of friends, up to three people. Okay. Um, and people were kind of complaining, like, hey, I'd like to be able to do um, matchmaking if possible, because if you didn't have two other friends on at the same time, then you basically couldn't do it. I mean, oh, I see. Because so you could, I mean, you could. You could was, only go with a party of people that you know. Uh, I mean, you could try it solo, but you're not going to do it. Oh, no, exactly. It. But yeah, like, you, you need a squad, really. Right. Right, and so um, Bungie's like, okay, we'll add matchmaking. So now, anytime you try to go into that that high level strike, automatically goes into matchmaking. 
So um, I know when my friend Joseph and I, we would normally do it. The two of us could normally find a way where we could cheese it or something and get through it with just two of us. And <laughs> nice. we would do that because you don't want to deal with a third person you don't know. Who doesn't know and, and is not, not with the program. You can't predict what they're going to do or whatever. Right. Because, I mean, in, in this in the nightfall strike, um, if if every, like, I mean, if you have two players and both of them die, you have to restart the whole thing. Oh, that's. It's sucks. not like you go back to the checkpoint. In the normal mode, when... One person dies, um, or if you both die, you go back to a checkpoint. Okay. In the nightfall, if one person dies and then they can get far enough back, and or if they can res the other person, then you're fine. Right. But if both people die, you have to restart the whole thing. Right. So now you take that where if you, you know, two people, we like, we know how to do it. We can do it by ourselves. We're mm-hmm. fine. Yep. Nope. Matchmaking, there's a third person in. Okay. So they basically went one step too far. Right. They're I like, see. all right, you want matchmaking? Well, now you can't do it with whoever you want to. <laughs> Yeah, they solved one problem and they created, created, another. created another. It's yeah. it's kind of seemed to be. In, uh, it seems like that's been the story for Destiny all along. Is that Bungie doesn't didn't really know much about MMOs and they knew a lot about shooters and trying to create a shooter in the MMO uh, environment. Right. And they've 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 had some growing pains. Yeah. And this is just a continuation of that. And I think eventually, for Destiny Two or Destiny Two Point Oh, whatever it's going to end up being. Um, they'll probably have a lot of this ironed out, but it's still just kind of funny. This game came out in September, and they're still kind of stumbling at this point. Right. Which, I mean, it it, it made so much money for them. I'm sure they're like, yeah, whatever, y'all are still playing it. Right. But um, it's one of those things where you see stuff like that, and you're like, oh, come, come on, guys, you, you're, you're better than this. Yep. And I'm sure it was one of those things where <clears throat> with the architecture, they could do one or the other, and they probably either it would have taken too much work to make it work exactly right or to make it to where you could select one or the other. So they're just like, well, we'll just add like the less Like the lesser of two right. evils. So they're like, well, we can do matchmaking, but then you won't be able to select it, and so we'll just do matchmaking. Well, that's not exactly what's, what's best for the players. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm sure they'll get it fixed eventually. But yeah. anyway, okay. And then the, the last item on Rita's rant is something I just saw a while ago here, but it's not too new. Apparently... According to this article, and this was actually on IGN as well, um, the title of the article is Lenovo Laptop Shipped with HTTPS Breaking Spyware Intentionally. Here's the deal. Anytime you buy a laptop or a computer um, anywhere that's not custom built, you're going to get a bunch of bloatware and shovelware that's pre-installed on the computer. That is correct. You get battery meters and power additional power options and additional search and update functions just all this uh, tons of junk and Lenovo's bad about it all of them are um, but apparently one of these apps that Lenovo was installing is called Superfish that um, let's see what it does here it uh, uh, Lenovo stated that um, Superfish was there to help customers potentially discover interesting products while shopping so it's one of these stupid shopping add-ins right and um Apparently, uh, could be used, uh, could fail to flag counterfeit sites as forgeries, according to a report by Ars Technica. Um, so what some security experts were able to do is to, if you go to an HTTPS, which would be um, uh, a secure website, ID like your bank, Bank of America, iTunes, something like that, where your information is supposed to be secure when it's on there, they could use this Superfish tool uh, to circumnavigate that security. Oh, wow. To pull um, your unencrypted information off there, off of an encrypted, supposedly encrypted website. That's so bad. And it's, it's one of those things on so where levels. this is not something that Lenovo did intentionally, but 
is an alarming trend in PC. I mean, that's how they make money, additional money off these computers. Exactly. Is it, they throw bloatware on there and they're getting money from these developers. Right. Right. And I'm sure someone at whoever develops Superfish, I don't even know, pay the Novo a check or exactly. giving them a cut of whatever ad revenue they're generating for right. the software. But they didn't, they didn't. So Lenovo, if I understand correctly, uh-huh. they didn't adequately check all of this um, bloatware right. for the potential uh, security lo- you know, uh, holes. And so they put it on there, accepting the money from uh, the developer of Superfish. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it has this huge exploit and the company that developed Superfish is potentially getting a lot more money by being able to access information from people using it. Um, well, Superfish, what? I imagine they make their money, or this developer in particular, makes their money off ad revenue, right? Uh, search revenue. So they probably went to Lenovo and like, look, we'll give you a cut of this. And Lenovo's yeah. like, sure, sign us up. Okay. We'll install it. Turns out, well, it's got some not so bright features or functions or security issues with it. Lenovo's like, oh, sorry, we'll turn off all the servers. So it's one of those things where Lenovo didn't do it on purpose. And, you know, had they done their homework, I'm sure it would have happened. Um, but it's it's not specific to Lenovo. Yeah. Yeah. All of the manufacturers are doing crap like this. Yep. So I, I saw the article, and I mean, I've yeah, got Lenovo, but. Uh, anything you do when you get, and I'm, I'm an IT guy, so I, I do this for a living, but anytime you get a new computer, I always go through, uninstall all that junk. Exactly. You have to do it at the beginning. And um, you got it. You guys should uninstall, or sorry, sorry, you should install uh, an app called Unchecky. It's a really good app um, or program. Um, and basically what it does is um, anytime you uh, download another, you know, any other program, it's going to automatically uncheck the... Um, you know, the extra bloatware. Oh, that's cool. I haven't actually, I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, for you and I, we're pretty, you know, keen on unchecking all that stuff anyway and making sure, but it's, it never hurts to have that kind of extra measure. Oh yeah. You know, especially if you, you know, for like parents and, um, you know, kind of older generation, you know, put it on, uh, you know, your parents' computers or relatives' computers who maybe aren't as tech savvy. It'll, it'll help, um, you know, kind of remove that and, uh, you know, definitely lower the risk of viruses or these type of, um, you know, security uh, uh, holes. Heck, even when I'm, I'm tech-savvy, man, and half the time trying new software or whatever, it's always that, that check mark is no, always... Ex- exactly. Heck, even Java. Um, when you go to download Java off Adobe's website, it installs McAfee toolbar. Yeah, man, I hate that By stuff. default, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so definitely look at Unchecky, but even, even with Unchecky, do your own check. And there's uh, there's another program. I believe it's called PC Decrapifier. Uh-huh. Um, That's a perfect... <laughs> yeah, it's PC I love Decrapifier. That. I love, this is the actual name. Uh, I love that name. <laughs> and what it is, and I've used this in the past, it's yeah. pretty good. When you get a new computer, you install this, and it goes through and looks at all the additional junk that's been installed on the PC, and it'll tell you, like, hey, you probably want to uninstall all this junk. And that's it'll go perfect. through and uninstall it for you. That's pretty legit. So that's always a good thing to run, especially when you get a new machine and you don't know what's on there. Yeah, if it's but, not a custom build, then uh, definitely download uh, this. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you know, people are kind of making a big deal about this. But I guarantee you, HP's doing it, Dell's probably less so Dell, but um, all the big companies are yeah, doing this. Yeah, this. this is pretty standard. Yeah. And um, Lenovo, just, they're the ones they, that they got, got unlucky. They got caught. Yeah, exactly. They got caught with a particularly, um, you know, problematic, um, you know, bloatware uh, program. Right. So it's it's nothing nothing new, nothing unusual, but uh, they just happened to get stuck in the news with it this time. So 
um, I think we should um, maybe close out our episode for today. We we talked about a lot of a lot of big things. Yeah, we covered a bunch there. Co- covered a lot, and um, so we're not gonna you know have Zordon's watch list or Goldar's gold mine, but um, you can definitely you guys can check out um, some of those um, big deals that are on um, the humble bundle and um, a couple of the you know the, like the Best Buy uh, gamers unlocked and and the PSN sales and a couple of other things. Right. Um, but definitely, uh, guys, um, check out. Uh, our website we're up on www.gogopowergamers.com uh, drop us a line at rangers at gogopowergamers.com we're also on itunes we are that's right so and uh, all of your other favorite podcasting services you should be able to find us uh any android apps i've checked about just all of those and we we show up in there um so you should be able to find us just about anywhere that's right so um, and you can download it directly from our website as well yes you can so um, let us know what you guys think. Uh, we're also on Twitter at GoGoPowerGamers. Um, and I've got us a Facebook. I just haven't put anything on there yet. Yeah, so that, that'll be up as well. Um, thanks, guys, for listening. Um, and I do want to give one more shout-out to the IGN Podcast Unlock crew. Yes. You should be receiving, as I said, today's Thursday the 19th. Um, UP, uh, USPS tells me that you should be getting your Phantom Dust package tomorrow. Yeah, get excited. And uh, the play the games, guys. Uh, let us know what you think, especially with this new uh, news of the closing um, Dark Side Game Studio. Um, let us know what you think next week. Uh, give us a shout out in your podcast. Tell us, you know, what your thoughts and opinions are. And man, just play those copies we sent. We'd love to hear what you think on it. Definitely. So thanks so much, guys. Have a great weekend. Hey, take it easy.